You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Welcome this morning. What a great pleasure and privilege it is to open up God's Word. If I haven't met you or uh, made welcome with you, my name is Jimmy Young. I'm the Assistant Minister here and I'll be preaching today. In this beautiful passage, we'll be focusing on the experience of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I want to set the scene for us. It is the day that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Three days earlier, Jesus was crucified on the cross. Not yet has Jesus revealed himself to his disciples, but the women have gone to the tomb. It says here in the the book of Luke that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the other women saw him. They told the apostles what they had seen and yet what the apostles reported is that they thought it was idle talk, not to be believed. And on the same day that Jesus rose, two disciples went to Emmaus. They were going to Emmaus, which is about uh, seven miles, 11 kilometers away. And I can imagine that they would be having quite an intense conversation filled with the kinds of things that they had seen and witnessed and heard. Could we believe these women? What do we do now that Jesus has been crucified? An intense conversation that perhaps they don't even realise when a man walks up to them and joins in their conversation. A man who we knew or know as Jesus, they do not recognise. In verse 17... It says this, Jesus said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. He asked them, uh, What things are you talking about? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, And beside all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Some women of our group astounded at us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. They did not see him. Jesus wants to know, what are you discussing with each other? And they say to him, are you the only stranger in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? Who doesn't know about Jesus, the one who's been crucified? The one we thought was the Messiah, but has died. Seven days earlier, Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. The crowd shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna. The disciples entering the city full of hope that this was the one who was to restore Israel back to its former glory, to redeem Israel. But now he's been crucified. And we don't know what to believe anymore. I wonder if you can pick up the tone of disappointment on Cleopas's voice, on his words. He had believed Jesus, trusted Jesus, walked with Jesus and thought he was the Messiah. And now he's dead. 
Cleopas is a disillusioned believer. You can hear it in verse 21 when he says, We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped, former tense, past tense, that hope is not current. This was his consuming thought. Jesus was meant to be the Messiah. What do we do now? This is not some idle throwaway uh, thing. This belief that Jesus was the Messiah who would restore Israel was a, was a really big part of their belief. In, in fact, in Acts, Luke's second book, the first question that the apostles and disciples asked Jesus uh, on the screen is, is this, when they come together, Lord, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom of Israel? This is what they're building towards. This is what they're praying about. This is what they're thinking about. And yet when it seems like Jesus has not come through, the end result is discouragement and disillusionment. And I wonder if you've ever had a similar experience. An experience that you are praying for something, pleading with God for something, fasting for something. Something you thought would be not just a good thing, but a godly thing, and yet it did not happen in the way you imagined. At my previous church, in the span of 12 months, we had three traumatic medical uh, experiences. One of our members was diagnosed with an incurable, untreatable brain tumour. One of our members was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer uh, and one had a heart attack and where his heart stopped beating for six minutes. Now, our church prayed for each of these people, fasted for each of these people, pleaded with God for each of these people. One experienced a miraculous healing that the doctors could not explain. One experienced uh, the grace of medicine gradually recovered and healed and one passed away now we might say well two out of three isn't that bad like God has answered our prayers but let me tell you as someone who ministered to the family whose husband passed away it was traumatic it was difficult we had pleaded we had fasted we had prayed for and this man had passed away what do you do? What do you do when the things you plead for or pray for do not come through? Often for Christians, when we don't see God responding to our prayers in the way that we want him to, what we experience is doubt. We ask questions like, where is God? Why have you not answered these prayers in the way that I imagined you would? Where are you? In some way, we are like Cleopas, unable to recognize Jesus on the road with us. Not being able to see him. Not being able to feel his presence. See, what Cleopas is really asking is, where, where is this man? Where is Jesus? He's right beside him, but he cannot recognize him. That's an interesting question. Is Why can't Cleopas recognize Jesus? This is a man who presumably had walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, heard his voice, ate with Jesus. It's not the kind of thing that you easily forget when someone walks upon you and like, ah, oh, I've forgotten this man that I've spent the last three years with. I think there's a hint, John Bloom, a New Testament theologian, he points to verse 25. It says, 
Oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. What John Bloom says is that their outward inability to recognize Jesus mirrored their inward unbelief of what the scriptures revealed about him. Jesus says, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. They had unbelief in their hearts and they could not recognize him. They could not recognize Jesus in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, and therefore they could not recognize Jesus in front of him. And what does Jesus do with their unbelief? What does Jesus do when they cannot see him? What does Jesus do in their discouragement and disillusionment? He takes them to the Bible. Specifically, as Sam has shared with us, he takes them to the Old Testament. I wonder if you've done that recently. You're meeting with someone who's discouraged, disillusioned, doubting God. And you, you know what we need? We need a good, hard reading of Zechariah. Let's sit down and go through Isaiah together. Probably not. For, for most of us, the Old Testament is a difficult document, something that uh, the stories are nice and fun and we, we, re- we remember some of them from Sunday school sometimes, but have we really read through 1 and 2 Kings recently? Probably not. But Jesus takes them to the Old Testament because in the Old Testament it points to him. All the prophecies in the Old Testament point to Jesus. All the prophets in the Old Testament point to him. It's why Jesus, Jesus says in the next slide, he explains them. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them the things about himself in all the scriptures. What it's saying is that Jesus took them to the Old Testament so that they would see him. They would not lose sight of him. J.C. Ryle, an Anglican minister and theologian from the 1800s, has this beautiful quote. He says, How shall we explain these things? In what way did our Lord show things concerning himself in every part of the Old Testament field? The answer to these questions is short and simple. Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. Christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Christ was the coming prophet greater than Moses, whose glorious advent filled the pages of the prophets. Christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the serpent's head, the true seed in whom all nations were to be blessed, the true Shiloh to whom the people were to be gathered, the true scapegoat, the true bronze serpent, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. These things, or something like them, we need not doubt, were some of the things which our Lord expounded on the way to Emmaus. Let it be a settled principle in our minds, in reading the Bible, that Christ is the central son of the whole book. So long as we keep him in view, we shall never greatly err in our search for spiritual knowledge. Once losing sight of Christ, we shall find the whole Bible dark and full of difficulty. Often we find the Old Testament difficult because we do not keep Christ in mind. But what do we do when we have lost sight of him, when we cannot imagine him, when we feel distant from him? Well, what Christ invites us to do is to sit in the scriptures that point to him. 
this week. If you are feeling discouraged, distant from God, let me encourage you to sit in the Scriptures, the New Testament, the Old Testament. All of it points to Jesus. It will help you regain your sight. But it's interesting, isn't it, at this point that the disciples still cannot see Jesus. Jesus has opened their spiritual eyes and explained how all of the Old Testament points to him, but as of yet, their physical eyes are still closed. Often God has to till the soil of our hearts before he opens our eyes to himself. But he does that in verses 28 to 32 onwards. As they came near the village, Emmaus, to which they were going, he walked ahead as if they were going on. He was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. It is almost evening, and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their side. They said to each other, when had our hearts burning within us whilst he was talking to us on the road, whilst he was opening the scriptures to us. This should be familiar language for us. If you've been to an Anglican church service in the last month, you'll recognize these words or the type of it. Jesus took the bread, blessed the bread, broke the bread and gave it. We read it earlier in the Last Supper. These are the words that Jesus instituted. He took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same thing with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Now, whilst I don't think that what Jesus is doing with his disciples is communion because the wine is not present, I think there is a parallel, a prototype of what communion does in us, through us, and for us. Growing up in an Anglican church, I heard lots about communion. And yet my experience has been, for most people, that we don't think too deeply about what we do each week as we take the bread and take the cup. For many of us, it's a meal of remembrance where we remember how Jesus loved us, died for us, and rose again. For some of us, we might not think about it at all. And yet I think there is something profound that is going on when we participate in the breaking of bread and the cup. Just note what happens in these disciples when Jesus breaks the bread. Finally, their eyes are opened to him. Finally, whatever had been blinding them from Jesus has been lifted so that they can see him for the first time. There is something that happens in the breaking of bread that goes past mere remembrance. I love what John Calvin says, the reformer, that In communion, in the Lord's Supper, God has given us a spiritual banquet in which he undertakes to nourish us throughout the course of our life. In the breaking of the bread and the pouring of wine, God feeds us. Derek Rishmawi says this, that the stunning thing about the Lord's Supper is that you get to eat a meal with God 
And we should never get over that. Something happens when we partake in the Lord's Supper. God is with us, feeding us, nourishing us. So I don't know what your week has been like the last week. But maybe you're feeling somewhat like Cleopas, distant and disillusioned, disenchanted or discouraged. But what Luke and Jesus show us in this section of scriptures is actually how God encourages us. Just as Jesus walked with Cleopas, even though he could not recognize him, through the Spirit, Jesus walks with us. God's presence is not far from us, distant from us, but is inside of us, with us. Just as Jesus explained and encouraged clear paths through the Old Testament scriptures that point to him, every time we open this book, God encourages us, encourages us to see him for all that he is worth. And every time that we partake in the Lord's Supper, we eat with God. He feeds us, nourishes us, and points him to himself. And as his presence is with us, as we encourage in his word, and as we are fed through his food, we regain our sight. Now, my encouragement to you today is to continue seeking him. If you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling disenchanted with God, don't give up. My former pastor often used to say, he'd meet with people who uh, were feeling distant from God and he'd say, okay, so have you, have you been to church lately? Ah, it's, it's been pretty busy, to be honest with you. Okay, have you, have you been with a small group? I've been really busy. Okay, have you been praying? No. Have you been reading your Bible? Not really. What do you expect? God has laid out a feast for us. And we're sitting at the table complaining of being starving. What Jesus outlays for us here is how he feeds us and encourages us. Christian, take your fill. Remember that he is with you. Remember that in these words of scripture, all of them point to him. Remember that in communion, in the Lord's Supper, he feeds us, nourishes us so that we may be with him forever. So let me invite you as we take communion today. Don't just sit there absentmindedly, standing in the line. Think about that you are eating a meal with God in which he nourishes you. Next time you open up your Bible, think that this is God's means of encouraging me and leading me to see him for who he is. And if all of that is beyond you, if you are beyond despair, Take solace, take encouragement from the fact that through the Spirit, if you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, the Son of God who rose from the dead, he is with you. I'd love to pray for us, but let me encourage you. Don't just pass this by. Take up these means of grace that God has delivered for us so that you could be nourished, encouraged in Christ. Let me pray. 
God, we thank you for this word and we thank you for the experience of clear paths written down for us by Luke. We thank you we can see that it is not just us who doubts or disbelieves, who gets discouraged from time to time, but in fact, people who knew you, loved you, trusted you, felt disenchanted at times. But God, we thank you that you're an active God, not distant from us, who does not leave us to just to being discouraged for long periods of time, but you actually meet us where we are. God, I pray for anyone who is feeling discouraged or distant from you this morning, that they would meet you in the scriptures, that they would be reminded of your presence with them through the Holy Spirit that lives in all of us who believes, that in communion they are reminded that God himself feeds us and nourishes us. God, even for us who aren't discouraged or disenchanted, let us not be far from these meals you lay out for us, these meals of grace that sustain us. God, we pray that you would see through to completion what you started in us, that we too would believe in you and excitedly tell others about you. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.